Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Well, friends, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Well, I'm actually feeling 42, to be honest, but our 22-year-old guest on this episode has got me not only listening to Taylor Swift's song, 22, but are you ready for it? You just might be enchanted by her impressive story and think that even though you thought you knew what the path to entrepreneurial success was, yes, everything has changed. Okay, I managed to get in four Taylor Swift song references in those first few sentences, but if you know her songs all too well, it's actually now five. All right, for real. What were you doing during your sophomore year of college? Probably not what Jessica Schwabach was doing, which was starting her own plant-based meat company. Two years later, Jessica has now gone through two prestigious accelerator programs, created products that have been sold in dozens of stores, and just raised $4 million in a seed round, including investment from food giant Nestle. Just what is this new founder CEO doing that has so many people so interested? Well, she and her team at Sundial Foods have created some alt chicken wings with skin and all that are apparently knocking people's socks off. I've not yet tried them myself, but having seen the photos and read reviews, I can assure you I'm eager to make that happen. I have a feeling you're going to be hearing a lot more about Jessica and Sundial Foods in the near future. So enjoy getting to know one of the newest faces on the alt meat block in this interview. Yes, Jessica seems fearless. And yes, that is the sixth Swift reference of this opening. Enjoy. Jessica, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Thanks, Paul. It's really great to be talking with you. Congratulations. I know that you just raised a $4 million seed round, a a very aggressive seed round. So first of all, congratulations on that. Thanks very much. So I think both myself and a lot of people listening had never heard of Sundial Foods until you had raised this round. And it was impressive. You had Nestle, which is this huge food company investing in such an early stage company. So so a lot of people, Jessica, who want to hear the story. But before we get to that and your fundraising success, let me just hear about where you came from. So I know that you were going to UC Berkeley and that you decided to start this company during school there. But were you thinking about food technology? And were you interested in food sustainability even prior to being in college? It's a good question. I feel like I can't really answer this without also telling my co-founder's story. But for me personally, I went to UC Berkeley with every intention, like a lot of Cal students, of becoming a pre-med, following a very typical path. I was majoring in molecular and cell biology uh, with an emphasis on genetics and doing some research in a, a space I was really passionate about. I was also vegan, mostly for personal reasons of not really liking the taste of meat and also wanting to do my part to hopefully combat animal agriculture in a small way. Really didn't think I had it in me to be an entrepreneur and didn't consider the idea until I randomly signed up for a class at UC Berkeley my sophomore year called the Alternative Meats Challenge Lab. And I really took this class because I thought I would meet other vegans and have fun eating vegan food. What I didn't expect was to get randomly assigned to a group project where I met my co-founder and we started working on a project about plant-based meats. And my co-founder, Suwon, was in the last year of her PhD plants and microbial biology at UC Berkeley. Also, no intention of becoming an entrepreneur. She really wanted to go into academia and research. Always saw herself as, as she says, as a doctor for plants and to improve agricultural sustainability very much from the plant engineering and genetic engineering side. But what we found together was that the plant-based meats industry 
presents a really unusual opportunity for us as students to sort of immediately step forward and take an idea and have an impact. Uh, and so we got really carried away with our school project at Berkeley, and that's how we ended up founding a company together. Wow. So you are in this class as a sophomore at UC Berkeley, and you meet your co-founder, and you decide, hey, this is a cool project. We could make a company out of it. Or was there somebody encouraging you along the way? Like, What made you think, hey, this was a cool project. We should devote our lives to this. Definitely a lot of encouragement. I think actually, while taking the class, the class itself didn't become our company, but really the professor, Dr. Ricardo San Martin, inspired not only us, but actually a couple of other plant-based startups too, Prime Roots and uh, Black Sheep Foods are two notable ones, uh, also Impact Foods, which is doing plant-based seafood. He put us as students in front of a lot of industry leaders from different companies, from larger companies, also from startups, to just sort of tell their stories and speak with the students and connect directly. And Sometime the class started in January, sometime around April, so and I realized that this was something we could genuinely step forward and do. It didn't have to be a research project. We could actually just start and try our hand at founding a company. And so we were really confused and lost. We kind of went into the Berkeley Entrepreneurship Center and we're like, hey, how on earth do we do this? And they were like, don't worry, you're not the first ones. And they walked us through a lot of the very basic things we need to do, like how to incorporate, how to get legal support things like this. And so UC Berkeley definitely, definitely helped us get ourselves off the ground. Well, what a blessing to have that infrastructure. So Jessica, tell me, you're in this class and you're thinking, okay, well, there obviously is some hole in the plant-based meat world. You already are vegan. You recognize why there needs to be a, some type of expansion in the plant-based meat sector. But what was the hole that you saw and what were you trying to fill with Sundial? That's an interesting question kind of a few parts to it. The first was that when we were actually taking the class, we were presented with different industry challenges. The one which was assigned to to our group was to create a project around the problem of dryness in plant-based meats. And so there were a lot of different directions we could go with this, thinking about different binding ingredients, different ways to increase the, the melting point of the fats we were using, even decreasing the astringency of the protein in our product would also would also sort of improve the mouthfeel. But we thought that maybe the simplest answer was just that if you look at a label for a plant-based meat, it already has enough fat. It probably has enough water too. What's missing is that when the consumer is cooking this product, the fat melts very quickly and the water leaves very quickly. And so they end up with a dry experience. So we thought, why don't we just put a physical barrier to prevent that moisture loss and started wrapping pieces of plant-based meat and showing that if we cooked one that was wrapped versus unwrapped, almost like in a bag. That of course, the one that was wrapped would retain more moisture inside and then ultimately taste better. So this is kind of our very initial idea. It didn't become much until the summer after taking the class when we realized that if we want to put some kind of wrap around a plant-based meat, that if we had this sort of plant-based quote skin, we actually needed it to be on a whole cut. We couldn't put that on the chicken nugget without it being pretty weird. So we sort of explored current industry standards for meat production. We were looking at uh, high moisture extrusion, for instance, which is an industry standard, and starting to see that if we wanted to create, using these standard industry processes, different kinds of whole cuts of meat, we would need a lot of different processing steps, a lot of binding ingredients that we didn't necessarily want to use, just in terms of difficulty, cost, but also nutritional value. So really, for Sawad and I, the beginning of Sundial was exploring how to create a new uh, meat production process for whole cuts of plant-based meat. This was in the beginning, very basic research, trying to understand 
when we mix different plant ingredients together. Two by two matrices of what we called fractions enriched for starch or enriched for fiber or protein, how they would interact, whether or not we could form fibers or something similar to some aspect of heat. And in a way, it was just very basic research and basic plant science and understanding. But ultimately, it led to us developing a process where we take different plant ingredients and kind of explore based on these enriched fractions of different sort of macronutrients, how we can generate a fibrous structure, not only in the individual bite, but also different muscle bundles and layers and ultimately 3D shapes. And on top of that, we put the plant-based skin and that's our product. How did you do this? Is there an extrusion step? Is there some other layering that you're doing? Is it 3D printing? Like, How do you make a whole muscle cut from using what I presume are extruded plant protein isolates? So we don't use any extrusion uh, and we don't use plant protein isolates. We just sort of look at other functional properties of plant ingredients that we use. So it's not really about protein isolate, but also about looking at different binding properties, for instance, of plant starches and how we can combine these different fractions under a single thermal processing step but without the shear that you would see in extrusion and then generate a fibrous structure. And the really nice thing about the process we've developed is that because there's no shear force, we can also combine that with different kinds of layering and then create these 3D shapes. Wow. Have you filed for a provisional or a utility patent on this thermal process or any of the layering or any of your technology at all? We filed uh, on a PCT application, which became public, I think, September of this year. Great. And for those who aren't initiated, what does PCT stand for, Jessica? Oh, no. A patent cooperation treaty, I think. So it's, it's in many different countries. Yeah. And so the, the PCT is around the meat production process, but also around the application of the skin. Okay. And so that is still pending, not granted, I presume. Yeah, still pending. Cool. All right. Well, well good luck with that. After you figured this out, was this while you were still, like, were you doing this still as part of your class? Or was that after you started looking into the accelerator route? This was after the class. This was mostly in Suwon's basement, to be honest. And some of it was being done. Also, we were working out of Berkeley Skydeck, which is affiliated with the university, but not using any of the labs there. And so the first accelerator program we joined was actually around fall of 2019. After working on this idea for a few months, we got in contact with Nestle, also through UC Berkeley, and they told us about an accelerator program they were running in Switzerland. And so that was the first big step that Sundial made towards realization of a product was joining Nestle's Accelerator in Switzerland. Were you still a student in school though? Like, How did you manage to move to Switzerland to go through Nestle's Accelerator if you were still at school? Well, we started talking to them October 2019. They told us visas were going to take a while, so I had enough time to finish my semester. So one really impressively managed to finish her PhD a semester early by just aggressively condensing her thesis writing, which is insane. She's a machine. And I, for the following semester, when we moved to Switzerland, I dropped out. So you have entered that uh, rarefied group of entrepreneurs who are dropouts from prestigious universities and you're looking to make it big with your new startup, right? Not quite. I maybe did the cowardly thing and went back um, and finished it up this May. I only had eight <laughs> units left. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, on a personal note, I'll say that after I attended one semester of college, I viewed it as a big waste of my time. And so this was admittedly more than 20 years ago, but I viewed it as a waste of my time and I did drop out and went into the workforce and I just wanted to help animals. That's all. So I went to go work at an animal advocacy organization 
after about another semester of, of working there, so after having dropped out and working, it became clear to me that there were some real social advantages to having a college degree. And I ended up going back to school and then finishing. So you and I have at least that in common that we were college dropouts who have gone back and finished, so or that you will hopefully finish soon. So I wish you the best of that. I know that running a company must be taking up an extraordinary amount of time. So to do school with that, I'm sure is a, a lot of work. Because we have a similar story there, though. <laughs> okay. So you were in Switzerland working with Nestle. So how was it being in that accelerator? And you know, Nestle has a pretty big footprint in the plant-based meat space themselves. And so do they have joint IP with you? Like, what do they get from having you in their program? Are you concerned that now that they know the secrets of how you do what you do, that they might go off and do it themselves? Like, what is the protection that you have here? I guess a few things to unpack that joining the Nestle Accelerator program was a huge learning experience for Suwan and myself, especially coming from sort of more biology backgrounds, missing both the food experience and also the entrepreneurship experience. We had a lot to learn from them. And they told us that for the Accelerator program, you know, we'd walk in with our bench scale prototype of a chicken drumstick with skin, meat, and bone, and we would walk out with shop test results after launching it in real grocery stores in Switzerland, which we thought didn't sound very possible, but we're definitely willing to try. So that's who ended up joining. As far as the model of the accelerator program, it's not really as typical as a lot of the other biotech accelerators you see in the Bay Area and elsewhere. Rather than take equity, it was more of us working with them in exchange for things that might happen in the future, which I know is a super vague answer, but I'm afraid I'm, I can't disclose more than that. Okay. So it's a they do not take equity, though, from you for, for participating in the accelerator? No. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I, I understand, though, that you have gone through an equity-based accelerator with IndieBio. So that came after Nestle for you? Yes, it did. So we went to Nestle, ran the shop test, and then came back actually March of this year of 2021 and joined IndieBio and SF. Before we get to that, what happened with the shop test? So my understanding is that you were selling your product in dozens of supermarkets in Switzerland. Is that right? It was super interesting. We started a lot of the work for us was on the real challenges of scaling up the process. Because we weren't using extrusion or anything very typical, it was a lot of figuring out, can this actually get off the lab scale? And how are we going to do that? So we were very lucky to be at their research facility with a pretty big pilot plant, at least by our standards. So we were able to drag around a lot of equipment, run trials, and get ourselves up to a pretty modest but workable production line by late summer of 2020. And then we used this to launch product in about 40 grocery stores called Co-op, C-O-O-P, in Switzerland under the Garden Gourmet brand, which belongs to Nestle. And using Garden Gourmet, we were able to collect a lot of feedback from consumers. So it wasn't always what we expected. People really liked the appearance of the product. They liked the concept of a whole cut of meat and that it was very realistic compared to chicken. It especially resonated with meat-eating and flexitarian consumers, not as much with these vegetarians. We saw that people liked that it was clean label and high protein, which is awesome because we were able to do both of these things with our process. But definitely the most interesting thing we learned was that the favorite aspect of the product was the skin. And we weren't necessarily expecting that. So one and I are personally very proud of the, the meat production process, which has been kind of our heart's pride with Sundial. Uh, but what the skin is able to add in terms of not only the initial appearance of the product, but also the eating experience, 
sort of heterogeneity of texture was something that consumers really liked. So it sort of taught us to focus on that more in the future. Cool. What's the skin made out of? Uh, It's a protein lipid aggregate. Interesting. All right. Well, I remember a long time ago. So before Miyoko Shinner started her alt-dairy company, Miyoko's, she had a company called Now and Zen, which was a plant-based turkey. And it it went under, sadly, although we might not have Miyoko's Creamery without it, without that going under. But Now and Zen had a turkey that had a really good skin on it that was made out of yuba, like the tofu skin. And I would order that. And this is like back in the mid 90s. And I would order that. And I loved it. It was that skin was like by far my favorite part of the whole thing as well. So there must be something from a sensory perspective about biting into like through that crispy skin into the meat that makes it such a delectable experience. So I'm not surprised that people were were really psyched about your protein lipid aggregate skin. We got to come up with a better name that sounds a little bit more succulent (laughs) than protein lipid aggregate, but something catchier. (laughs) Speaking of your proteins and your lipids, you you have an unusual list of ingredients for plant-based meat. So if you look at plant-based meat today, virtually all of it is made from wheat, pea, or soy, or some combination of those three. And they're usually uh, protein isolates that have been extruded uh, from either wheat, pea, or soy. But you're not using that. So what does somebody see on a sundial package if they go and they look at the ingredient deck there? What are they going to see? Our main ingredient is chickpeas, which I think is going to be labeled in the form of both whole chickpeas and chickpea protein concentrate. Admittedly, it does also contain gluten and soy, although in smaller amounts. No peas, though. And so we have eight total ingredients. We're missing a lot of the binders and additives that most of these products have. Because of our process, we're able to avoid those. So it's, I guess, gluten chickpeas, chickpea protein concentrate, water, soy, nutritional yeast, salt, and I am missing one thing, sunflower oil. Nice. Well, I'm an avid fan of nutritional yeast. I use it on a daily basis. However, I have a, I have a long-running, extremely unsuccessful campaign to encourage a renaming of it. So it's a fantastic product that is delicious and nutritious. And it has a disgusting sounding name. People don't want yeast and they don't want nutritional. So admittedly, that's true. I don't know what you would call it, though. Well, Jessica, you are in for a treat because I do know what you call it. So there's been an effort to rebrand it as Noosh, which I think is very bad. It sounds disgusting. I don't know why. But there are people who I don't disagree with that. It's not good. However, here's my proposal that I have made many times and has not yet caught not gotten any traction. But maybe with you, it will. Not nutritional yeast not noosh, golden flakes. Doesn't that sound good? Golden flakes. That sounds like a really good product. I would like to eat golden flakes. It sounds a bit like cereal, to be honest. (laughs) Well, you know, maybe it's not a bad cereal. Maybe somebody should just start a brand of nutritional yeast called golden flakes. That would be like, like, because there's... That's true. There's no brand that people seek out in the nutritional yeast space. It's very generic. So maybe there's an entrepreneur out there who wants to create like their own enhanced nutritional yeast, golden flakes, that'll be, I don't know, higher in iron or B12 or something that is out there. And and then we'll all go buy from you at that. So maybe there's somebody out there who wants to do it. But it's a pretty cool ingredient deck, Jessica. And I can't wait to try it myself. I hope I get a, a chance to try it. But I just want to go back to your story here, though, because after you were done selling these products in Switzerland, you came back to California and you decided to go into the Indie Bio Accelerator program. After going through Nestle, why go through another accelerator? And tell me about how that was and what you learned at Indie Bio. So 
We decided we wanted to do another accelerator program because coming out of Nestle, we felt we learned quite a great deal on the technical side of how to run and launch a food company and how we were going to get product to market and work on issues like manufacturing, scale-up, food safety, procurement. So one and I was still woefully short of knowledge on how to actually run a company. That was a big reason for joining IndieBio. And also we had some technical challenges that we really wanted the space specifically a laboratory to explore. So we started IndieBio technically February and it was a mix of virtual and in-person. But because we're both from the Bay Area, we ended up being in the lab most of the time and really just learning a lot about the future direction that we wanted to take Sundial in, how on earth we were supposed to fundraise and grow our team and strengthen our go-to-market strategy. Um, this is a really interesting experience ending in July of this year. Definitely miss it a lot. July of 2021. For future listeners of this show who listen at some other point other than when it airs. So NDBio is mainly known as being a biotech accelerator. Would you say that the processes that you were using uh, fall into the biotech category? Yeah. So what we really wanted to work on at NDBio was more of a focus, again, on the skin. What we ended up doing was also revamping the inner texture of the meat and exploring that a lot. But we kind of have some ideas for a 2.0 version of this product, if you will. About half of Sundial's effort, or maybe two-thirds at the moment, is focused on how we're going to get this first product of ours scaled up enough for our launch in the U.S. next year. But much more exciting for us is sort of what's coming next, which is how far we can take this product in terms of the layer generation, which can create... Right now, it's creating meat and skin, but we think there are other things we can do, too, that create more complex products. Very cool. Well, uh, speaking of your U.S. launch, I read that you're intending to launch in restaurants in the spring of 2022. So how are you going to do that? Like, where will you produce this? Is that a co-manufacturer or do you have a place where you can produce it yourself? How, how are you going to get your wings into some restaurants? We're going to make it actually at Rutgers University. So we've just moved out to the East Coast to New Jersey. Rutgers has a food innovation center here where they've worked with some other startups, including Impossible, to do the initial scale-up and commercialization. So our hope is to sort of collaborate with them for at least the next year and a half on this first launch. What do your parents think, Jessica? So this idea led you to drop out of school, move to Switzerland, move to New Jersey. What do your parents think about this? They're very confused, but they're generally very easygoing people. So I haven't heard anything negative about it yet. They have tried the product before and they like it. My dad's vegetarian. I remember a childhood of him refusing to buy us a tofurkey on Thanksgiving because he'd rather just eat plants. But so he's one of those vegetarians. That's so funny. My experience actually is that the more realistic plant-based meat is, the less interested most of the vegetarians and vegans who I know are in it. And there's a, it seems to be like a, an inverse relationship also, like the longer you have been eating a vegetarian or a vegan diet, the less interested you are in those type of foods, I think. That's been my own experience. So what about you? I actually have a really embarrassing story from yesterday, which I feel like I should admit, which is that I was at the airport and ordered a, a veggie burger. And when I got it, I was like, oh, shoot, this is beef. I have to bring it back. And, you know, I had to do the awkward, I'm so sorry, but I, I don't eat meat. Can you take this back and, and give me a vegetarian one? The woman behind the counter was like, oh, no, that's plant-based. And I was like, there's no way. I refuse. It was at the Toronto airport. And so then she went and... Was it Burger King or... No, it was... I'm not sure what it was called, but I think it was it was just existing there in the airport. Maybe Tim Hortons? Not Tim Hortons. I'm not entirely sure. I would have to look it up. I was that person who refused to believe that the plant-based burger was 
actually plant-based. I really thought it was beef and it was, it was freaking me out a bit. That's really funny. Well, I had a similar experience one time. My wife and I were at a restaurant and they served an impossible burger and people at the table were completely incredulous that this was not meat. And they like, I mean, I'm not kidding. One person like had them bring out the box to show the ingredients. It was so embarrassing. It was just like, it was a horrible, horrible experience. But anyway, it just shows how, how convincing they've gotten. I will say, interestingly, my, my dog, Eddie, is a very keen nose for plant-based meat, and he will usually reject it pretty much any time. Interesting. Like, however, with Impossible, every once in a while, he'll eat beyond both of them. If Impossible, he'll eat it every time. We're going to do an Eddie test on Sundial here and, and see what he thinks to see if he, <laughs> if, he, if he passes muster. That's stressful. I'm so curious. I wonder if it's because of the, the hemoglobin that he eats the Impossible Burger. I don't know the answer to that, but I can assure you he is quite eager to eat it when he has the chance and he will not even let most other brands pass his lips. Hey, by the way, why Sundial? What is that a reference to? I mean, I know what a Sundial is, but why is the company named Sundial Foods? So we called it Sundial because I guess it's a bit cheesy, but we think of a Sundial as a super early form of technology that harnesses the power of the sun and uses it to directly help people with something. and. We sort of see plant-based meat as taking the power of the sun, skipping the animal intermediate, and just using plants to create something that's useful for people. Okay. Very cool. I like it. Good origin story here. So, Jessica, you are on a, a wild ride. Uh, how old are you? Uh, I'm 22. Okay. So, most people, uh, when they're 22, are not thinking about starting their own companies, let alone raising millions of dollars to run a company that you founded a couple of years ago, no less. They're thinking about other things. So if there are people out there, maybe they're undergrad students also, and they're thinking, geez, I really am impressed by what Jessica is doing. How can I be more like her? Are there any resources that you would recommend? Any things that were useful for you that you learned either at Berkeley or Nestle or IndieBio or anywhere in between that you think would be helpful for folks to check out if they're interested in following in your footsteps? That's a really great question. In terms of resources, I really think it's the folks around you. And just if people that you know are aware that it's something you're interested in, then when it pops up, when they make a random connection somewhere that might be useful to you, then maybe you'll hear about it. And a lot of it maybe is chance, but also, you know, if you have the intention to to pursue entrepreneurship at some point, when the opportunity comes by, even if it doesn't quite seem like an opportunity yet, then you can make it one, which I think is cool. In terms of resources that I would use, I don't know how cheesy it is to say this, but I would just continue to pursue what you really like. And if it's the right thing for you, then then it, you'll come across it. Okay, fair enough. I was uh, joking the other day, my friend and I were listening in the car to Taylor Swift's song 22. And obviously, she thinks it's like the perfect age to be. However, I am 42, which is a very convenient thing because I can sing the song as saying instead of 22, as 42. And so, uh, however, I wish that when I was 22, two decades ago, that I had had the experiences and thought processes that you have had to start your own company in this space, because it's been, I think this is among the most compelling ways to help animals. And I, I wish that I would have gotten into that space earlier. So my hat's off to you for that, Jessica. Congratulations on taking the plunge into entrepreneurship. And I'm sure, though, that as somebody in this space, you've started your own company, you're focused on Sundial, you want to make some really awesome chicken wings. 
But are there any other ideas that you hope that somebody else might start a company to do? Any other white spaces that you think need filling or any other places you think need more augmentation that you hope maybe some listener of this podcast will take up the mantle and start his or her own company doing? Yes, definitely. A lot of things. I think in particular, there's a lot of folks working on this already, but deplastifying the planet is something we panic about a lot. We have to sometimes take a step back from what we're doing and look at the irony of saying that plant-based meat is doing something good for the planet. And we realize just like everybody else, how much plastic we're using in everything and how hard it is to avoid just in terms of food safety and quality and what's required in order to meet certain standards, that there's no other material besides different kinds of plastic that will meet a lot of the needs that we have. Not just what you see in terms of like when you pick up a package on the shelf and there's three layers of plastic and that's rough enough, but also in terms of manufacturing, you know, it's everywhere in terms of our raw materials during our process and then after. So I don't know if there's some magic bullet out there, but for everybody who's curious about doing something really sustainable, I think that's the biggest area and biggest issue right now that worries us because we feel like we're part of it. Well, there's always room for improvement. We've had a number of episodes in the past and in the show notes for this one, we'll link to some of them about companies that are making plastic alternatives or they're making biodegradable plastic. One of the things that concerns me though is yes, we need to stop making so much plastic that isn't biodegradable, but we also need a way to deal with the plastic that's here. You know, virtually every piece of plastic that's been manufactured for the last 70 or so years, if it hasn't been incinerated, it still exists pretty much. And in the same way that I think we need to not only reduce our emissions, but also draw CO2 out of the atmosphere, we probably need to reduce our creating more plastic problem, but we need to do something about all the plastic that's here and find ways to degrade it. And I'm particularly enthusiastic about some of the methods of using, for example, fungal fermentation to actually degrade the current plastics that are here, because there are some species of fungi that do enjoy consuming plastic. I'm pretty bullish on both plastic alternatives and ways to degrade plastic. So if you're out there and you have some interest in doing that, I hope that you will not only listen to the back episodes of this podcast about that, but maybe uh, start your own company and do something really cool in that space as well. So Jessica, with that, I want to say thank you and congratulations. I'm rooting for your success and am looking forward to trying my own sundial wings at some point, whether in spring of 2022 in a restaurant or maybe some other time as well. But I look forward to that very much. And congratulations on all the success you're having. And I hope that you will continue to grow this and have an awesome company making some really fantastic plant-based meats. Thank you very much. And we'll definitely get you some wings at some point. Very good. We'll give them to Eddie as well. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good.